I did six sermons on the attributes of God, and were we to continue talking about that, we still couldn't scratch the surface. So for the next few weeks, I want to talk about the cross leading up to Easter, and then on Easter Sunday, I want to start a new series. Experts say start a sermon series on Easter Sunday, and it's more likely that those who come Easter Sunday might actually come back the Sunday after Easter. So uh, start a new series on Easter Sunday and look forward to that. But this morning I wanted to preach on the cross, and the sermon's entitled Three Crosses. Real simply, in your bulletin there's an outline, the three crosses, so you can remember, the cross of redemption, the cross of rejection, and the cross of repentance. Those are the three crosses that stood on Calvary that day. My passage is Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. And I chose this gospel because this particular gospel has the words of the other two thieves crucified beside Jesus. And what they say could represent us all. Luke 23, 32. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place which is called the skull, Golgotha. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews, which Pilate put there. And Pilate actually put in three languages, in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, so all the passers-by could know this is the king of the Jews. And do you remember the little detail that the Jewish rulers say, Don't say this is the king of the Jews, say... He says he is the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, no, what I have written, I have written. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a fascinating exchange that occurred between those criminals crucified on either side of Jesus that Good Friday. And what it represents about them and their hearts and their eternities. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today to ponder the the beauty and the mystery and the sacrifice of the cross, help us choose the cross of repentance and acknowledge our sins and come in humility and faith to you. Acknowledging the penalty that had to be paid and that you paid it in full. And if we will confess our sins, you will be faithful to forgive us. Help us do that this day in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you ever been traveling down a highway or expressway out in the country somewhere and looked up on the horizon and seen three crosses on a hillside somewhere? And there's no church nearby and there's no sign or billboard nearby explaining their existence there? What's the background for that? Well, come to find out that there was a businessman years ago who had a miraculous answer to prayer. And in response to that answer to prayer, he adopted a project of erecting three crosses throughout the countrysides of America, just for the fact that when people saw them, they had to stop and look at them and consider them and ponder, perhaps, what they represented. Three people were crucified on Good Friday. We focus on one, on the center cross, on Jesus, and rightly so. But I want us also today to consider the other two crosses that were there that day because all three have significance for us. Because I think those three crosses represent all people for all time. And the choices we make in this life, in this world, can be symbolized by the choices those two criminals made on either side of Jesus. Jesus said that Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So if we want to be Jesus' disciples, that means we'll be bearing a cross of some kind. It's not a question of whether or not we'll bear a cross. The question is, which cross will we choose? How will we choose to follow Jesus? Because we all have a cross. And when I say we all have a cross to bear, I don't mean a a splinter in our leg or an ingrown toenail or something minor like that. I'm talking about the kind of cross that Jesus was speaking of when he talked about the, the kind of life that we lived and the suffering that might come as a result of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Someone told me recently that If you're following Jesus and you don't occasionally, if you say you're following Jesus and occasionally don't run into the devil, then you might be going in the wrong direction. Because following Jesus will mean obstacles. Following Jesus will mean a cross. There were three crosses on the hill called the skull that day. And the first one, of course the most important one, The center cross held Jesus, our beloved Lord, and it's the cross of redemption. As I said, Pilate put a sign over Jesus' head in three languages, this is the king of the Jews. A lot of folks were illiterate in that day, but most of the folks who who were Roman could read Latin, those who were Jewish could read Hebrew, and those who were Greek read the Greek language. So he wanted to be sure that everyone knew this was Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Jesus was king of the Jews and he died that day on that cross in the middle to pay the sins, pay for the sins of his subjects because he was the king. And to have someone redeem you, to to hang on a cross of redemption implies that people are in need of being redeemed, in need of being freed, in need of being liberated from something, from something. If we can't acknowledge that we are under the penalty of something, then we'll never need redemption. We'll never need forgiveness. Do you remember, those of you who are alive in October of 1987, something happened in Midland, Texas that 
reached worldwide coverage. A little girl named Jessica McClure in Midland, Texas, fell into an abandoned well and landed on a ledge about 22 feet down. And somebody passing by the well heard the little girl calling, Mommy, help me, Mommy, Mommy, only 18 months old. She stayed on that ledge for two and a half days while the people of Midland, Texas gathered around that well and they decided the best way to rescue her was to uh, dig a parallel well right beside that one and go down. They got down about halfway and hit bedrock and they brought in a specialist that had just devised a new method of well drilling that used high pressure water and they bore through that bedrock and eventually got down the whole 22 feet and rescued baby Jessica. And if you remember seeing them bring her out and the photographer that took the picture of that little girl strapped on a board and the bandage across her head and the little uh, scrapes that she had on her face, that picture went across the world and the whole world rejoiced in her rescue from that well. Friends, we are in the same condition as baby Jessica, spiritually and morally. We are just as lost and we are crying out for somebody to save us, somebody to help us. And Jesus is the only one who could do it. He is the only one on that center cross, the cross of redemption. <clears throat> and if you stop and think about it, that cross that Jesus bore that day and on which he hung was the only thing he ever had in his entire life that was his very own. Everything else throughout Jesus' life was borrowed. Think about it. The manger in which he was laid was borrowed from an innkeeper. <clears throat> the boat from which he preached to the multitudes on the hillside was borrowed from a fisherman. The sack lunch with which he fed 5,000 people that day, a little lad. The coin that he paid the temple tax with, he borrowed from the mouth of a fish. And then there was another coin when the scribes and Pharisees came up and asked uh, if they should pay taxes, and, and Jesus asked them for a coin, and he said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. That was a borrowed coin. The colt on which he rode into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, where did it come from? It was borrowed. The upper room where he had that last supper, Thursday night, a borrowed room, and then the tomb in which he was laying was, actually he only needed it three days, but it was borrowed from Simon, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. So everything throughout Jesus' life was borrowed, but the cross was the only thing that was his very own. Why only his? Why could only Jesus bear that cross? Because of everyone who has ever been born and lived and died, Jesus was the only one good enough to pay the penalty for sin for others. Because Jesus was perfect, he was sinless, he had no penalty for sin to pay for himself. And he was able to pay that day on the cross the penalty for sin for everybody. That had to be a lamb of God without blemish that was sacrificed. And Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. God did all the work that day by sacrificing his son. It says in Colossians that God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Because only Jesus could do it. God was 
working out that miracle of reconciliation and redemption. And if you ever doubt the love, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of God for you, look at the cross. Look at those outstretched hands hung there, wrapping his arms around the entire world. The center cross was the cross of redemption. The cross on the other side of him was a cross of rejection. The cross of rejection, crucifixion was such a barbaric means of execution. It was reserved for non-Roman citizens. A Roman citizen could not be executed on a cross. It was too humiliating, it was too painful, it was too barbaric. It was used as an instrument of torture by the Roman army. And believe me, the Roman army were experts on torture <laughs> because they were always conquering distant territories and they needed means of deterrent to keep people in line, to keep them from revolting rebellion, even thousands of miles away from Rome. So they kept them under their thumb and they used the cross to frighten them. It was such a serious means of execution that the Jews even had a law that said it was a curse to be hung on a tree. Let me read that passage in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. This is from the law. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. Why? Because the dead body would render the land unclean. So you cannot leave the body all night upon the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is accursed by God. Did you hear that? A hanged man, a man hanging on a tree, a man hanging on a cross is accursed by God. You shall not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance. If you hang a man in a tree, it must come down the same day, lest it defile the land on which the tree stands, the land on which the cross is planted. Paul even mentions that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Because he became a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree. So Paul is referring to that law in Galatians 21. Incidentally, if you ever want to know for sure that this whole thing about Jesus isn't made up, no one would have made up the fact that the Messiah was crucified because crucifixion was accursed by the Jews. The, Jesus was flanked by these two thieves. Both of them, it says, were deserving of death. They had broken the law. They were thieves. They were thugs and rejecting salvation. The cross of rejection results in rebellion. And the cross that held one thief, what was he doing? He was listening to the crowds. He was listening to the soldiers mocking Jesus. And hanging there, he just joined in with them. He rebelled continually while hanging on the cross. You would think that hanging on a cross might have gotten his attention to change his ways, but no. He rebelled, and we too rebel. 
We rebel against God, and all rebellion leads to rejection of forgiveness and eternal life. And the thief on that cross rejected Jesus. He mocked him like all the enemies standing around him. Are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and us. He railed at Jesus. Think about that tragic statement for a moment. He was only an arm's length away from the Savior. He was only hours away from facing eternity. If he had only turned to Jesus, he could have been saved, but he did not repent. He did not turn to Jesus for mercy. He continued to deny his need. He continued to mock Jesus. And many of us are just like him. We blame everyone and everything around us for all of our problems. We refuse to take responsibility for our own mistakes. We refuse to acknowledge the fact that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, in need of redemption. And if we refuse to acknowledge our need, Jesus cannot do anything to help us. God can't save anybody that doesn't want to be saved. And if you can't acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of salvation, he cannot offer it. So the real tragedy for me here that day is not that thief's crucifixion. The real tragedy is that he refused eternal life and Jesus could have given it to him right then. But thankfully that's not where the story ends because there's another cross beside Jesus. There's a cross of redemption, a cross of rejection. There's also a cross of repentance, of repentance. This third man was just as bad and just as deserving of punishment as the other criminal. And yet this second thief gained paradise. How in the world did that happen? What was the difference between those two thieves hung that day on either side of Jesus? He entered paradise with Jesus because he repented because of his repentance. At first, I imagine he joined in, listening to the crowds, forming his opinion, but there's no record that this thief had any contact with Jesus before this moment of hanging there beside him on the cross. So everything he thought about Jesus, his opinions, what he learned about Jesus, he learned by watching and listening to what was happening to Jesus that Good Friday. He confessed his sin. He told the other thief, we indeed died justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, this thief knew that when you sin, that when you break the law, when you break earth's law or God's law, you are going to be punished for it. And it's in that one statement, acknowledging his sin, acknowledging his mistake. That's where new life begins. If we say we have no sin, we are a liar. And the truth is not in us, says 1 John. But if we admit our sin, then God will open up the floodgates of mercy and forgiveness because repentance has begun. If we do not admit our sin, then we don't need anyone to save us. And so repenting is where salvation 
begins. Even though Jesus was being crucified right there beside him, I imagine there were some conversations that took place that were not recorded for us in Scripture. Maybe how he saw Jesus relate to those who were mocking him and cursing him and spitting on him. Maybe in some conversations they had between themselves hanging on the cross that no one else heard. But he heard the shouts of the religious leaders taunting Jesus, but still he said, this man has done nothing wrong. We are deserving of death, but this man has done nothing wrong. He knew Jesus was innocent. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He knew Jesus was innocent. And today, all around us, people are still trying to shout down Jesus. Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just a good man who lived a good life, but he was not the son of God. You'll hear people all around you mocking Jesus and taunting Jesus. But people who know they are sinners and still need a savior still confess Jesus as Lord. And for those who confess their sins and repent and confess Jesus as Lord, there is salvation occurring that day. And so the thief turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's faith. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And I just enjoyed imagining that day, Jesus taking that thief's hand. And when the two of them died, walking into heaven's gates and God standing there and Jesus saying, Abba, Father, I'm home. And, and God says, welcome home, son. Who's this with you? As if he didn't know. And Jesus said, this is my new friend who just professed faith in me today. And I promised him today he could be with me in paradise. Isn't that the way we're supposed to go to heaven? One hand reaching out to God and the other hand bringing a friend along with us. And that's how Jesus entered paradise. Because there's still people today who are sinners and know they need a Savior and are acknowledging their sin and confessing him as Lord. It's interesting to me this other thief did not ask to be taken down from the cross. He didn't ask for a miracle. He didn't ask like the first thief, save yourself and us, get us out of this mess. He knew he was deserving of the punishment he was receiving. And he was able to acknowledge it and repent of it. And Jesus forgave him and took him by the hand and led him home. If we must bear a cross, and Jesus says if we're going to be his disciples, we will. Let it be this cross. Let it be this cross of repentance that we bear, acknowledging our sin and our need of forgiveness and repent of it and find a Savior. It has been told that uh, a legend of Empress Helena, who was the wife of King Constantine in the fourth century when he was a, a king and, and um, a Christian and began to spread Christianity across the Roman Empire. His wife Helena 
went to Jerusalem to find the true cross. It's only legend, but it says that she found three crosses, and she was unsure of which of the three Jesus was crucified upon. So she laid a dead man across one of the crosses, and nothing happened. He laid a dead man, she laid a dead man across a second cross, and nothing happened. But when she laid a dead man across the third cross, he came back to life. It's only legend, but it symbolizes the fact that Jesus' cross brings the dead back to life. And that's what he's done for us. We were dead and lost in our sin, and Jesus brought us back to life. There were three crosses on Calvary that day. The cross of redemption in the middle on which Jesus hung. It was, he was the only one who could hang on that cross. It was the only thing he ever owned. There was a cross of rejection beside him. The thief that could not admit his sin or his need but just mocked Jesus like the rest of the crowd did. Like so much of the crowd does today. But there was a third cross. And it was a cross of repentance. And the thief said, we are deserving of death. This man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It was a split second. And that's all it took for that second thief to find salvation. It changed his eternity. And Jesus can do that for you and me today. Let's bow together. <clears throat> Father, as we come now to the moment of decision, we have to choose which cross we're going to bear. The cross of redemption has already been borne by you and only you. But there's a rejection and there's a repentance out there too. And so many people continue to reject you and mock you and denigrate who you were and how you lived and what you did. And sometimes we just go right along with them because we don't want to rock the boat and we just comply with our surrounding society but God like that second thief help us to step out and be bold in our witness and our faith and our trust and the first step is one of humility where we have to acknowledge our sin because until we do that there's nothing you can do to help us but if we can acknowledge our sin and our desperate plight, our, our desperate need for you, you can cleanse us and forgive us if we will repent and turn from it and be our Lord and Savior and have abundant life in this world and paradise in the world to come. Help us live for the world to come and find the joy that comes in living in this world too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.